We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is presented by RickRunGood.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on the podcast can be found over at rickrungood.com. Want to give a huge thank you to all the engagement and the new people that signed up over Masters Week. My Masters course preview uh, that I did last week was my most downloaded episode ever. uh, And the episode that I did with Kobe on Monday night was not far behind. I'm truly honored that... uh, you continue to listen to my nonsense every week and the podcast is in a position where it continues to grow organically. I don't need to do giveaways. Don't need to be on YouTube. Don't need you to smash the like button. Um, None of that stuff is really who I am. uh, And I'm genuinely really grateful for that because wouldn't really know how to do it anyway, but a genuine thank you To all who supported my content last week, I do my best, and I could get a lot better, I'll admit. I've kind of, my resolution, I've kind of given up on Twitter DMs. I got sick a few weeks ago, and they started building up, and then I just got really overwhelmed and was like, fuck this, I'm just not ever going to check these ever again. Um, There's no way I can get through these anymore, but... I'm making it my project. I'm doing some traveling uh, up to Oak Hill, actually for a member event on Monday. So I'm flying cross country and back over the next few days. So I'm going to hold myself accountable to go through some uh, DMs, even some ones that were sent months ago. But moral of the story, I'm so grateful for all the interaction and support over Masters Week. Like I said, if I didn't get to a message wasn't anything personal I didn't get to any I didn't look at any Twitter DMs Um, it was a really busy couple of days but uh, it makes it all worth it because of the support that I receive every year Uh, all right so I'm recording this on a Saturday afternoon with the Masters on delay Uh, since I am traveling all day Monday to New York City, uh, and then I'm going to be flying to Oak Hill Tuesday morning and at Oak Hill all day on Tuesday, Uh, there's no way I will be able to do a regular Heritage show with a guest on Monday or Tuesday night. So 
I think what I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to talk a lot about the golf course um, and some of the players that I think are going to have a good week before odds come out today on this podcast. And then tomorrow on Sunday night, I'm going to record a little master's recap uh, with my friend Kyle Hewitt, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, he went to the Masters on Wednesday, uh, and he is at Hilton Head as well. He's got a place down in Hilton Head and is going to the event. Super familiar with that golf course. So we'll talk mainly Masters recap, uh, maybe a little bit of a look ahead to Hilton Head. Uh, but I'll use the majority of this episode to do a course preview for the Heritage since that is an elevated event now. Uh, and we actually have a really awesome field of pretty much all the best players in the world sans the live guys. Um, do not know how much that I will be able to engage with this event throughout the week again because of my travel. So I want to, at the very least give a course preview. So let's dive right in. Yeah, we'll talk about the Masters on Sunday night. Um, RBC Heritage. This tournament has been held since 1969 and outside of 2020 and 2011. It is traditionally played the week after the Masters uh, and the venue for this event for its entire existence has been Harbortown, uh, which is widely considered one of Pete Dye's better works. Um, I've personally never played it. Heard great things. Uh, I think it's a good, fun, change of pace golf course uh, for PGA Tour play. I actually think it's going to be really interesting to see this year uh, all of the best players take it on. And generally, the best players are guys that are fairly dominant drivers of the ball and excellent long iron players and this is a golf course where it just completely takes those two skills away essentially so players like John Rahm and Rory McIlroy and Cameron Young that have this massive leg up on courses like Torrey Pines and Bay Hill because of their driving ability and their long iron play um, the playing field with them is leveled a little bit to the Webb Simpsons and the Matt Kuchers of the world because this is a golf course that takes driver out of your hands. Now, I think what happens is there's sometimes an overcorrection at this event, right, where people say, oh, this is mitigating Rory's best skill. Let's not play him. And then that's how you get like a 2% Cameron Young last year finishing third at this event. Um, so, you know, just because Rory's not going to be able to hit 14 drivers on this course um, does not mean that he can't win this event. Same with Rom, same with Scheffler, same with Finau. It just means that uh, a lot of the other guys are in play as well. So those guys do lose some of their advantage, but again, they're the best players in the world for a reason. And if they show up, um, they can still easily win this tournament. But if you look through like the past 10 winners, pretty much outside of Stuart Sink, all really short players off the tee. Um, Spieth is actually pretty long, but Webb Simpson, CT Pan, Satoshi Kodaira, 
Wesley Bryan, Brandon Grace, Jim Furyk, Matt Kuchar, Graham McDowell, Carl Pedersen, you know, and then you have guys like Zach Johnson, Webb Simpson, Luke Donald, Kevin Kisner, Russell Knox, Luke Donald again, Luke Donald again, Matt Kuchar, Abraham Answer, finishing second. Um, and I think you can almost kind of throw out the 2020 year, although that's the only evidence we have of how a lot of really good players with a really good field have performed on this golf course. But that was the second tournament coming back from COVID and it was in June. So the greens were not overseeded and it was really wet. Uh, and that's why you saw such easy scoring conditions outside of that year. The winning score has ranged from nine to 19 under, and it, it really just comes down to wind and turf conditions. I mean, we've seen this tournament won at 19, 22 under par, and we've seen it won at nine under, um, last couple of years, it's been trending in the easier direction, but you know, by no means is Harbor town, a total birdie fest, despite, being fairly short off the tee. It measures just a hair over 7,100 yards, plays as a par 71. Uh, it ranked right around tour average uh, in 2021 in difficulty and a little bit harder than tour average in 2022. Uh, 14th out of 38 courses on the PGA Tour, uh, which is generally harder than it usually plays. It ranks... Fifth out of 38 courses in par three scoring, 22nd out of 38 in par four scoring, and 17th out of 38 in par five scoring. The cool thing about this tournament is that every single player in the field can compete here. Uh, and one other thing that I want to note before we get into the minutiae of the course, I mentioned how this tournament is always played the week after the Masters. And 11 of the last 15 champions have played the week before in the Masters. Even guys like Wesley Bryan, C.T. Pan, and Carl Peterson. Oh, those were the... C.T. Pan, Wesley Bryan, and Carl Peterson, excuse me. Those were the lone exceptions. Guys like Stuart Sink, Kadira, Brandon Grace, McDowell. All of those guys played in the Masters. So you'd think, okay... Maybe there's a letdown spot coming off of such an emotional experience of playing the Masters. Not really the case. Historically, it's actually been players that have played the Masters who have won this event. Um, and a lot of those guys were all over 40 to 1 and had also played the Masters. So that's just something to consider. Let's talk about the golf course. Harbortown Golf Links in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Designed by Pete Dye with some help from Jack Nicholas in 1969. Par 71 measuring 7,121 yards. Always ranks as one of the shortest courses on tour. There are 18 individual water hazards on this course, but a lot of the time they don't really come into play. The fairways are Celebration Bermuda grass overseeded with perennial ryegrass measuring 29 yards wide on average. Some of the most narrow on the PGA Tour. The rough is Celebration Bermuda grass overseeded with perennial ryegrass measuring 0.75 inches. No real rough to worry about here. Uh, the greens are absolutely tiny. They are 3,700 square foot wide on average. Bermuda grass overseeded with Poa Trivialis. Uh, we are in April, so we are still going to get 
that same POA overseed that we have grown very accustomed to at TPC Sawgrass and Innisbrook and TPC Scottsdale and TPC San Antonio and PGA West and Austin Country Club. Uh, this is the same general type of overseed. And I think we know the deal at Harbortown, right? It's a lesson driver course. It's all about positioning yourself off the tee and setting up the right angle to approach the greens. Uh, and I always run my model a little bit differently this week where I'm on weeks like this, I'm way more concerned with identifying players that have a really good history on the short positional golf courses. There is like a certain style of golf on the PGA tour and Harbor town is probably the most exaggerated version of this, but like your Sony opens and your Sedgefields and Wyndham's and colonials and RSM's like, right. These are events that are all generally courses where shorter players feel like the playing field is more leveled, smaller greens, usually Bermuda grass, often, a lot about positioning off the tee and wedge play. Uh, and some of these guys, the same guys, pop up over and over again because this is one of the weeks of the year that Kevin Kisner feels like he has just as good of a chance to win this week as Rory McIlroy or John Rahm. And I really do think that the Webb Simpson types and the Kisners and the Matt Kuchers, I really think these guys are licking their chops this week. Um, so I went pretty heavy on looking at course history and corollary course history, because I just think that there are a certain subsect of players. And I looked at a lot of my stats through the lens of on these shorter courses, because I just don't think courses, I just don't think that anything from Tory Pines or Arnold Palmer invitational is relevant this week. Um, I do not think that an overemphasis on how you hit your driver or how you hit a three iron um, applies. That's not actually what I want to be identifying. Uh, and there are certain subsect of players where their stats are never going to look good because they're forced to play too many long courses that don't really fit their game. So I spent a lot of time looking at how guys have performed on similar courses, how guys have performed on shorter courses, what players always seem to play well on less than driver courses. Um, and I want to give you guys some quotes uh, that help illustrate the point that I'm making. Okay, here's one from Jason Day. This course shows that you don't really need length to make a golf course difficult. For me personally, there's a lot of irons, long irons off the tee, and a lot of three and five woods. There's only maybe four or five drivers out there. There you go. Wesley Bryan, former champion. You have to work the ball both ways off the tee. You have to work the ball both ways going into the green. And it's just one of the only courses on tour where you'll see that you have to play every single shot in your bag. Brandon Grace, another former champion. I like this place, but it's completely different. It's short and fiddly. It doesn't matter if you miss a couple of fairways, a couple of greens, you can get your way around it. Then Matt Kuchar, another former champion. It is so unique with the tree line fairways, with the ability to basically recall and remember every hole. You have to play chess around this golf course and position yourself off the tee. If you are offline, it's not that your ball is necessarily in a hazard. You have a recovery shot 
but you will have to be creative. The greens are basically on the same level of the fairway. They are not perched up with the bunkers everywhere. You can actually run them up on the greens. They're small greens. And then finally, Jim Furyk, I think it's all about working the golf ball. There's a lot of strategy involved, but you have to be able to control the golf ball. You have to hit high shots, low shots, curve it to the right, left to right. It's about hitting the proper side of the fairway, and that may depend day-to-day with the pin placements. So there you go. It's just a much different style of golf, and therefore, I think that you should run your numbers a little bit differently this week. Um, All right, let's take a quick break and then run through the stats. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Okay, 14%, 14.1% of strokes gained at Harbortown have come off the tee, which is a bit below the tour average of 15.2%. Last year, Harbortown did rank fourth out of 38 courses in strokes gained off the tee difficulty. And every single year, this course ranks inside the top five in strokes gained off the tee difficulty. Uh, So I've already alluded to this, but driving distance here is like 270 yards on average compared to the tour average of like at least 285. That is comically low proving that most players aren't hitting a ton of driver here it's the it had the fourth lowest driving distance last year and every single year it ranked inside the top five in lowest driving distance so 
again, remove the idea that this is a golf course where you want to look at strokes gain off the tee on other longer golf courses that are determining how well essentially players are hitting their driver. Uh, Jason Day talks about there's four, maybe five holes where you really need to hit your driver. Uh, and driving accuracy percentage is still slightly higher than tour average because despite these fairways being narrow to hit, most players, like I said, are not hitting a lot of drivers on this course. It's really all about angles on this course, and you can't overpower it. Uh, it's very tree-lined. A lot of the tree limbs are overhanging. I mean, there's certain holes where you can be in the fairway and you have a terrible angle to the green where you're potentially still blocked out by overhanging tree limbs, right? And so it's actually more so about being on the right side of the hole than it is about being in the fairway. And last year, this course ranked 35th out of 38 courses in missed fairway penalty. So there's not a massive penalty for missing the fairway. I mean, the rough is very, very um, benign. And this course also ranked 38th out of 38 courses in rough penalty, 30th out of 38 courses in non-rough penalty. Um, And the other key thing is that you would much rather, you would much rather, because it ranked dead last in the average difference of score between fairway drives and non-fairway drives, um, and a lot of that, again, is because the rough is not so much of an issue whatsoever. It's really just about, like I said, being on the correct side of the hole to give yourself the best angle in. So there are going to be times when you are in the rough and you have a much easier angle approaching the green than you would if you were in the fairway on the wrong side of the hole. This is from Webb Simpson. I think you've really got to shape it off the tee. Any hole could be two or three clubs off the tee. I love small greens. I love small targets. Paul said that I'm the worst driver of the ball with a really wide open fairway and one of the best with a really tight fairway. Um, Okay, so example A of why I think it's useless to look at regular off the tee stats this week. Um, I think you want to be looking at how players perform off the tee on less than driver courses, how accurate you are with the driver at Harbor Town does not really matter because you don't even have to bring driver if you don't want to. Like I said, it's all about positioning, and the two things that I'm looking at this week are good drive percentage on shorter courses and strokes gain off the tee on shorter courses as well. I want to know how players navigate off the tee on shorter courses on less than driver courses, right? This is... In my opinion, I wouldn't call this like a pure position A, position B golf course. I do think that this is far more of a second shot golf course, but you do have to be able to have command over your tee ball on this golf course. You cannot just bomb away aimlessly here. You are playing to spots. This is pure target golf, right? Um Pete Dye was kind of the master at creating visual intimidation off the tee. And you have a ton of trees here. You have fairways that look way more narrow than they actually are. Um, so I I would not say that 
you know, I, I think there is some relevancy to identifying players that are the best off the tee, that gain the most strokes off the tee, that do the best job of keeping the ball in play on less than driver golf courses. Uh, in terms of approach, a whopping 38.4% of strokes gained at Harbortown have come on approach. That is well well above the tour average of 34.7%. That means that this is a, a very approach-heavy course in terms of the success of players that have gained the most strokes here, even more so than your average PGA Tour course. Last year, it ranked ninth out of 38 courses in strokes gain approach difficulty, and it generally ranks harder than tour average in strokes gain approach difficulty. It featured the ninth toughest greens to hit on the PGA Tour last year, and each year it ranks tougher than tour average in greens and regulation percentage. Uh, interesting and interestingly enough, it ranks 25th out of 38 courses in strokes gain approach difficulty under 150 yards, but fourth out of 38 courses in strokes gain approach difficulty over 150 yards. So it is way harder on those approach shots when you get those long irons in your hands because the targets are so, so small. Uh, you don't have a ton of long irons on this course. There's not a ton of approach shots over 200 yards, but there is a massive amount from 125 to 200, right? So you are hitting a bunch of short to middle irons. Uh, 17% of approach shots last year came from 125 to 150, which is above tour average. 18.7% of approach shots last year came from 150 to 175, which is right above tour average. And then a whopping 26.2% of approach shots came from 175 to 200 yards, which is well above the tour average. So the proximity buckets that you really want to look at is this range of 125 to 200 yards, particularly 175 to 200 yards is where you were getting a ton of approach shots last year. Of course, this always depends on how firm the golf course is. I would imagine that Augusta was not the only part of Georgia that has gotten dumped on over the last couple of days. So uh, we may see a little bit wetter, softer conditions than we're used to seeing this week. In terms of around the green, 18.3% of strokes gain at Harbortown have come around the green, which is well above the tour average of 14.5%. Historically, that number does dip closer to 14.8%, which is a lot closer to tour average, but pretty much any course with a low greens and regulation percentage, players are going to have to rely on their short game. Uh, with that being said, the actual degree of difficulty of the shots that you will face around the green at Harbortown are not very difficult, in my opinion. Last year, Harbortown ranked 37th out of 38 courses in strokes gain around the green difficulty, and every single year it ranks as one of the easiest courses in around the green difficulty. It ranks 36 out of 38 courses in strokes gain around the green difficulty from the fairway, 37th out of 38 courses in strokes gain around the green difficulty from rough, and 22nd out of 38 courses in strokes gain around the green difficulty from the bunker. So essentially, I will still look at around the green play on this course just because of the volume with such a, with a lower than average greens and regulation percentage, but in my opinion, this is uh, one of the easiest courses to chip on in terms of degree of difficulty. Uh, for putting, 
29.2% of strokes gain last year came via the flat stick, which is well below the tour average of 356 Historically, that number rises to 34.2, which is still below the tour average. So last year, Harbortown ranked six out of 38 courses in putting difficulty. And most of the time, it does rank harder than tour average, which was surprising to me because these greens are pretty flat, in my opinion. Uh, But it's usually closer to tour average in difficulty. It ranked last year, I guess it was just kind of a tougher putting year it did play kind of firm and fast last year uh but it ranked eighth out of 38 courses in putting inside five feet seventh out of 38 courses in putting from five to 15 feet and six out of 38 courses in putting greater than 15 feet that is generally harder than it usually ranks in putting most years it usually ranks right around tour average in putting difficulty from different distances i think these greens are generally very very pure this time of year, um, you're starting to get a little bit of the Bermuda sprouting as it gets a little bit warmer. Um, but generally, these are really nice greens to put on. There's not a ton of undulation and giant slopes to them. There's kind of more smaller, subtle internal breaks. Uh, and it's, you know, it's essentially that same surface that we have seen at so many PGA Tour courses over the last, you know, Innisbrook and the players and PGA West and TPC Scottsdale and Valero, like all these courses that we see these type of these time of year has that overseed. Um, and then in terms of scoring stats, you know, not really looking at anything like par five scoring on this course only two par fives on this course it's not a pure birdie fest uh it is a technical golf course that you kind of want to work your way around there were still enough wedge shots that i wanted to look at opportunities gains uh you are going to have a short iron in your hands you are going to have your fair share of scoring clubs on this course quite often um but i would you know i would not call this course hard um I just think that you want to keep, keep identifying players that have performed really, really strongly on a bunch of these short positional golf courses. So I looked a bunch at how players have performed on some of these shorter positional golf courses. I threw that in there. And then in terms of course history, uh, you know, there's actually a pretty strong correlation in terms of course history here, actually outside of Augusta national, Bay Hill, TPC Scottsdale, Wiley, and Harp, uh, and Wiley. So this would actually be the fourth most or the fifth most predictive course history out of any course on the PGA Tour, which makes sense when you think about it, right? Like you hear those player quotes. That's why I read a bunch of the player quotes where it's like they talk about how this golf course is a game of chess and there's a lot of strategy on this golf course. That is not the way that players are going to talk about TPC Craig Ranch, right? Or many of the other driver wedge courses on the PGA Tour. It's not how players are going to talk about Torrey Pines or Bay Hill, frankly, right? Like this is a very strategic golf course. You have options pretty much on every tee shot. Like like you can hit driver here. I don't want to make it seem like it completely takes driver out of your hands. Maybe if you're an incredibly like accurate driver of the ball, like a Corey Connors or a Colin Morikawa, maybe you use that advantage with your driver 
to get farther up and have some shorter approach shots. And if you are incredibly, incredibly accurate, um, but the main point is that you have options, right? And shorter players have options and longer players, of course, even have more options because of their length. Um, but I do think that course history this week is something that's important to look at. And I definitely am giving a bump to guys who have played here before and who have found success here before. And then let me run through a couple of the courses that more specifically I wanted to highlight in terms of like that shorter positional nature where the same types of players pop up. Austin country club is a good one. That is another short positional Pete die course with similar agronomy. We don't really have much data from the match play, although we do on rickrungood.com have strokes gained from it. Um, but I think it's one worth keeping track, uh, keeping in the back of your head. Innisbrook actually, uh, although it's a little bit longer, still very tree lined, same agronomy, not super difficult around the greens. It plays a little bit longer than Harbor Town, and you're going to have to hit more long irons. But that's probably the biggest difference. They're both these kind of like tree lined Carolina style golf courses. Innisbrook kind of, I know it's in Florida, but it masquerades kind of as a Carolina golf course. And this one's via my friend Steve Bamford. Unsurprisingly, nine of the last 13 winners at Harbortown have also finished top 10 at Innisbrook. So there you go. Um, Wiley is another short host of the Sony Open. Another short positional golf course with a lot of crossover on the leaderboards where the same types of players seem to pop up year after year, right? Kisners, Kuchers, Henleys, all of those guys. Sea Island is another really good one. Same kind of Carolina style, shorter. You can get some wind. Same types of players always seem to pop up at both spots. And then Colonial is another really good one. That's another short positional. That one's bent grass, so a little bit different agronomy, but that's okay. There's still a ton of crossover between the leaderboards. Uh, and then TPC Sawgrass as well is another interesting one because on paper, that one should almost be the best, right? It's shorter, peat dye, same agronomy. Um, I think for me, the issue with Sawgrass is that water is just so incredibly prevalent at Sawgrass, and that course is almost like a circus. It's a little more tricked up, uh, and there's so much variance. Whereas I actually think Harbor Town is far more predictive of a golf course from tee to green. Uh, but there's still some crossover there, especially in terms of the sight lines and the whole shapes that Pete Dye likes to use. Like visually, if you like the look of TPC Sawgrass and how some of those tee shots set up, chances are you're going to be very comfortable at Harbor Town. So I threw all this stuff into a model. Uh, looked at a lot of different performance on different golf courses, looked at a lot of different performance on shorter golf courses and different wedge distances, uh, and so on and so forth. And, uh, you can find all of the exact model inputs in my Monday article on rickrungood.com. That course preview takes this podcast to a next level. It is in written farm and does, a lot more of diving into the numbers with specific players. But here are the top 20 guys 
that it shot out for me this week at Harbortown. All right, number one, still Scotty Scheffler. Remember him? Uh, survived the big fade on Scotty Scheffler at the Masters. Although he's, you know, we'll see what happens Sunday. He could easily backdoor a top five finish. But he is, despite this not being the type of golf course that Scotty has won at before. I mean, he's won at a ton of different golf courses. I just, he doesn't have a, actually, you know, Austin Country Club, honestly, when we think about it. But anyway, Scotty Scheffler's number one for me. Tony Finau is number two. Interesting. Uh, John Rahm is number three. Justin Rose is number four. Victor Hovland is number five. Rory is six. Tom Hoagie is seven. Max Homa, eight. Colin Morikawa, your winner, nine. Sung JM, 10. Corey Connors, 11. Shane Lowry, 12. Xander, 13. Tommy Fleetwood, 14. Siwoo Kim, 15. Russell Henley, 16. JT, 17. 18 top. Might be a good by low spot on JT 18 Tom Kim 19 Patrick Cantlay really low for Cantlay who's been unbelievable here I was shocked he was so low let me actually look at why that is with Cantlay um I would have bet any amount of money that he would have been in the top 10 given the course history and I'm pretty heavy on that um Okay, surprisingly, outside of the putting success at Harbortown, he's actually been quite poor on these types of overseeded greens. Still not the best. Actually, relatively poor long-term middle iron player. I guess that's what kills Cantlay. Um, and not a particularly elite driver of the ball in shorter courses, although he has had a ton of success on them over the years, particularly Pete Dye ones. Um, and then Tyrrell Hatton, 20. But uh, it's difficult because I need to see the strokes gain data from pretty much, you know, most of the top guys made the cut at the Masters. I mean, the guys that you're looking at, that I have some interest in that didn't make the cut at the Masters. It's Rory, JT, Tom Hoagie, and Corey Connors. I think it's like a, I guess, probably like a pretty good bounce back spot for Corey Connors. And I, I absolutely like Tom Hoagie. Um, Rory is a, is a hold for me. I need to, I need to process that one a little bit more. Uh, whether this is going to be a tournament and a week where Rory McIlroy shows up coming off what had to be uh, a very tough Friday night uh, for our Prince, but uh, upwards and onwards. Um, yeah, I think as it stands now, again, he's in pretty good position at the Masters. I think he's top four or five at the Masters right now, but the guy that I always felt was going to win at this golf course of the elite players. The guy that, in my opinion, has the most tailor-made game for this golf course, the guy that this golf course feels like it actually accentuates his skill sets 
uh, versus a John Rahm or a Rory McIlroy, where this course maybe de-accentuates some of their best skill sets, is Colin Morikawa. Uh, and he has he has a 64th, a 7th, and a 26th here in three appearances. So he has played here a bit. He has played well here a bit. He has never putted well here. But his putter has been a disaster on all fronts pretty much. And that's what kills him, despite the fact that I have a very heavy weight on mid-iron play. And Colin Morikawa, by my numbers, remains the best middle-iron player in the world. Uh, It has not been a good putting stretch for him on these types of greens as well. Uh, But he has gained over 10 strokes ball striking in his last two appearances at this event. He is still an incredibly accurate driver of the ball that raises his baseline on shorter courses that uh, make accuracy more important over distance. Morikawa really, for obvious reasons, raises his baseline off the tee because that's what he does best at. And he's still the best iron player in the world, in my opinion. Um, And he's having another great iron week as it stands through two and a half rounds on Saturday, he's having another amazing iron week at the Masters. Um, and he's been really good at Colonial. He's almost won there. And he's been good at Wiley as well. So I just think that this is an absolutely perfect spot for him. Um, and I'm going to be looking to bet him at, I guess, whatever number. Hopefully, maybe he has a slow uh, Sunday at the Masters. Uh, I do think... Cantlay will be quite popular this week. That would be my guess. Uh, but I don't think that Morikawa will be sneaking up on anyone either. A couple other names that have my attention as kind of just like early early thoughts. I like Sung J.M. this week. Kind of curious to see what he does over the next 30 or, 30 or so holes at the Masters. But Sung J.M. is a definite look for me. Uh, Justin Rose as well, uh, rates out fourth for me. He rates out incredibly well. Shane Lowry, Tommy Fleetwood as well. Those are two guys and Lowry's been excellent here. Um, but I'll probably be looking to get away from the Cantlay, the Spieth, the Jason Day, even the Cameron Young, I think I'm okay on. Um, and I'm pretty undecided on the big three. I talked about the big three last week and, and Rory currently his, um, I mean, I still think he's, this still is playing out the way that I predicted it to, whereas Rory throws everybody off of his scent at the masters and then wins at Oak Hill by like five, uh, was my prediction that I'm sticking with, even though I will admit I talked myself way more into Rory as having a good week last week than I did of him blowing it like I should have stuck to in December. But um, I talked about how at the Masters, this is the Masters is a golf course that creates the most separation of elite skill sets and from tee to green, and how if there's any week to bet the big three, it, it would be this one, which I ended up going with Rom, and hopefully he can track down Brooks tomorrow. Um, but this is a week where I would be far, 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 even though Scotty rates out first for me, Rom rates out third, and Rory rates out six, I would be far, far more inclined 
to skip the top three and bet a guy like Morikawa and Sung Jay, maybe Hovland, then maybe like get into the Rose and, and Hoagie territory too, right? So um, I think this is a week where, and again, famous last words because the very, very top of the board has been absolutely dominating. And if Rom is somehow able to track down Brooks tomorrow, which I'm still quite optimistic about and hopeful for, um, that will be another sub 10 to one winner. Um, of course it's the other direction. If a guy like Brooks won, I mean, that was a guy that opened up in, you know, the seventies and eighties. And I think he was bet down to tournament week to almost around 30. Uh, but this is a golf course where some of those bigger dogs, Rory and Rom and Scheffler specifically, lose a bit of their advantage because this is a golf course that takes driver out of their hands. So I do not believe unless their numbers drop a little bit, I do not believe that those three players present as much value in the betting market this week as they do last week at a course like Augusta. And I think this course is far more suited for the best middle iron player in the world. And the most, one of the most accurate drivers of the ball in the world, Carl Morikawa to just absolutely eat this place alive. Um, so that will do it for me. Those are my early leans. That is my course breakdown. I will be going uh, hot tomorrow night. As soon as the Masters finish, we will get that episode up on the podcast feed, probably on Sunday night with Kyle Hewitt breaking down, debriefing the entire Masters Sunday. We are in for a long day of golf tomorrow. If you're listening to this late on Saturday night, or early on Sunday morning. Enjoy the rest of the Masters. I think Sunday's going to be really fun. I personally think that Rom's going to kick Brooks's ass tomorrow. I'm also wrong all the time. And I said on Brian Kirshner's podcast earlier this week that no members of the Master Blasters or Brooks Kepka had any shot of winning this tournament. Um, I got a lot of things right, um, be it Rom and you know, a 2% Matt Fitzpatrick. And I'm having a very fine week in terms of my DraftKings and positional betting and and hopefully in the outright market because I certainly need that big time. Cannot live off my football winnings forever. Um, but I, I will be the first to admit I was dead wrong about Brooks. Dead, dead wrong about Brooks. Um, did not even consider him. Was a big fade for me. Actually went out of my way to be vocal about how I did not think that he was going to perform well this week. Um, so, uh, good luck to John Rom. Never thought I'd be saying those words as, uh, many longer time listeners know he has not always been my favorite golfer to root for at times, but I'm feeling good about tomorrow. I think, uh, hopefully he can, uh, he can break some curses in our direction. Uh, until then, best of luck with your bets the rest of the way. Um, Enjoy the Masters, as I said, and we will see you back on this podcast feed Sunday night. Cheers.